Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. Thanks for joining us for today's instalment of Murder and Mayhem. This is Valerie Koo. I'm so thrilled with all of the response that we've been getting about this podcast, but also about the course. For those of you who've enrolled in the course Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder, it's pretty exciting to get all of your emails and and pings on social media about how much you're enjoying the course and how much you're learning from it and how, in many cases, it's going to impact your writing. If For those of you who haven't yet downloaded the free ebook called A Month of Murder and Mayhem, which is the free ebook that comes with, uh, that accompanies this pop up podcast series, then make sure you do download it. You can get it at murdercourse.com. And of course, it's designed to be 31 days with the world's best crime and thriller authors. And uh, if you don't necessarily want to have us in your earbuds, uh, you can also check the paper version uh, where we pull together the key insights and writing tips from the world's best crime and thriller authors in this ebook. Today we're talking to Greg Barron and I'm sure you'll find his insights very interesting. He is uh, the author of uh, novels such as Rotten Gods, Savage Tide and Lethal Sky. Now he says that he's inspired by the likes of Tom Clancy and Alastair McLean, Robert Ludlam, Wilbur Smith and John Le Carre. So as you can imagine, there's quite a thriller theme running through the kinds of books that he likes to read, certainly, and of course, the kinds of books that he likes to write. And I always find it fascinating talking to thriller authors because of that edge of your seat feeling and pacing that they need to always have in their novels. It's something that, you know, I would certainly find challenging, but it's great to be able to chat to all sorts of different authors to see how they approach the creative writing process. 
Now, this interview with Greg first appeared on our other podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer, which interviews authors from all different walks of life and all around the world. But here in the Murder and Mayhem podcast, we've curated the best crime and thriller authors for you. Hope you enjoy this chat with Greg Barron. He's being interviewed by Alison Tate, who is a fellow author and my co-host on So You Want to Be a Writer. Oh, hi, Greg. Hi, Alison. Here you are on solid ground. No adventures this week? None outside the ordinary. We did uh, have a long drive on the weekend, but uh, down to the Riverina, which was a great great trip. Love exploring Australia. It's, uh, it's the rest of the world. It's a wonderful country. Fantastic. All right, so let's talk about um, sort of action thrillers because that's obviously what you specialise in. What, what first drew you to writing this kind of story? Most definitely reading this kind of story. Okay. I grew up reading all the great thriller writers of the day, Alastair MacLean, Ian Fleming, Wilbur Smith, Tom Clancy, John Le Carre, Jack Higgins, and I used to read, like a lot of people, under the uh, bedclothes at night uh, with a torch, under my desk when I was supposed to be studying, <laughs> in the bath, and I, I came from a big family, so we handed uh, books from person to person, uh, we talked about books a lot, and I just loved the way a book could carry me away just purely with words and images, and I just wanted to do that for other people. So w- when did you write your first one? And, and um, you know, like, was, th- was it just that you sat down to write something and this is what came out, or did you specifically set out to write a thriller? That's a really interesting question for me because I never saw myself as a thriller writer, and it took me a long time to get published, uh, more than 10 years uh, before I found a publisher. And I wrote in several genres during that time, but I always wanted to write page turners. Right. I, always, I, I couldn't not write things with a, a, a powerful story that propel you along. But I always struggled a little bit with the, the genre tag. I always wanted to be a mainstream writer in a way. I wanted to, to write books that everyone could read and, and not try and limit it. I think the uh, being put into a genre is partly a publishing thing. Yep. Uh, bookshops like it. The publishers like it. They know exactly how to market you. They know exactly your placement in the market. Yep. So they like to give you a tag and, and for you to continue to produce in that, in that genre. Yeah. I think... My agent, and I've got it, it took me five years to get an agent. Right. And during the, the next five years, when he helped me towards publication, he helped me to understand that what I was writing loosely fitted into, this, uh, into the thriller genre. Yeah. And when I did finally get a, a contract from HarperCollins, and they picked up the first of uh, the, what, what has ultimately become a three-book series, Rotten Gods, they said to me, what are you working on now? And we, you know, this was in the boardroom at the HarperCollins offices down in Sydney, and I had you know, everyone from the head of publishing down sitting around the table. And they said, well, what are you working on now? And I said, oh, actually, I'm writing a book that's set in, partly in ancient Egypt and partly in, and they cut me off, and they said, what about writing two more of these? Right. Uh, you know, can you give us something with these same characters? Um, in a similar world, and 
uh, basically give us three thrillers just like this one. And I said, of course. Why not? Yes. No pressure. Right. So actually the impetus uh, to continue along the thriller genre path came from the publishers. Okay. And, and is it, but it's obviously something that you really enjoy writing. Absolutely. Yeah, which is great. And the more I think about my older works, the more I realise that they were thrillers. And sometimes I didn't quite realise that. Okay. Do you think you need to be the adventurous type to write gripping adventure? I think you need to have experienced a lot of things to know how they feel. I think you need to have experienced fear to be able to describe it. I think you need to have experienced some of the people in the world who are very scary. You need to have uh, been in situations where your life is possibly at risk. Um, to be able to describe those things. But, look, I think writers become writers because they're, they're very good at putting themselves in other people's shoes. So no lack of experience is insurmountable with writing. But it certainly helps. Okay, so what do you think are the key hallmarks of a great thriller? A, a really good thriller has to... Has, has to be big in scope. Thrillers tend to uh, describe major events or be involved with major events rather than small ones. So if you're writing a thriller set during World War Two, you would tend to uh, have characters who are movers and shakers, decision makers at a, at a global level. Yep. If you're writing a small literary novel, you might concentrate on one family in Berlin living through uh, the war or one family in, in England uh, doing the same thing. But a thriller has to have characters who are doing things and driving decisions and making stuff happen. I think the other hallmark of a thriller is that detail is, is important to thriller readers and it, you, in some more military styles, you'll see they spend a lot of time describing military hardware. Yes. I'm kind of halfway down that road, okay. but not at the extreme level. Uh, but thriller readers tend to like things to be right, right. to be exact. Okay. If you make a change in a historical context for the sake of the story, I think it needs to be noted somewhere. And... What I have found is the readers know a lot of stuff. Right. Collectively, your readers know more about your topic than you did, at least before you started researching it. Uh, so you have to be good. Your detail has to be spot on. Will they Finally, contact think, you? Oh, sorry. No, that's all right. And, and the final thing about thrillers, you have to really immerse the reader's senses in the story. So it's not just about a matter of... Uh, uh, telling them uh, what's happening in the story, you need to involve as many of their senses as possible so that if if your character is wading through freezing cold water, you have to describe his trousers winding around his legs and the goosebumps on his skin. That is the kind of detail that will really get readers feeling as if they're there, and that's the ultimate aim. Okay, so it's not just about sort of action scene after action scene after action scene. It's actually about immersing the reader in the story. Yes, absolutely. Action 
without involvement in the characters is is very empty, and it can be can be actually boring. Believe it or not, right? Uh, action only works when you've got well developed characters that the reader is sympathising with, and is really going along for the ride with. So, do you start with your characters, or do you start with the story? It, it's a hard question because, to me, a few things tend to come at once. But now, I'll probably start. Uh, with the story first and then start to develop some characters or the characters start to present themselves to me uh, and put their hand up and say, look, I want to be in this. And you can see them in your peripheral vision and you invite them to come centre stage and and you examine them and you decide whether uh, they're going to be part of the story. Right. Like a lot of writers, there are a lot of false starts out there and the first thing you have to decide when a story idea comes along is whether it's got the legs to make a novel. Right. Because a lot of story ideas are two or three chapters worth or um, a long short story worth, but they're not actually big enough to develop into a full-length novel. Yep. Um, But I probably have some kind of story idea come along every couple of weeks. (laughs) I do tend to note them down um, for future reference. Sometimes I'll even get really excited and just write a couple of chapters and just see what happens. Uh, then I might put it away for two years oh. before I come back to it again. Uh, I, I have a project I'm working on at the moment, and I wrote the first words of that something like nine years ago, and it just won't leave me alone. So I know that story's got the legs, and uh, and I've developed it, and I've written all these bits and pieces over the years, and I'm just trying to bring it all together and, and see what happens. But the story ideas that are false starts, you, you realise that you're wrong, you, you just put them aside. Okay. And will you pretend... Like, I mean, nothing's ever wasted, is it? Because some of the stuff that you come up with with those particular stories may be used elsewhere or down the track it may develop into something bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I never throw anything out. Um, I save drafts. I often have... Well, I have a whole series of files on my computer that are called Bits. All right. And it might be Rotten God's Bits, which, which were discarded sections from there. Occasionally I'll be working on a new book and I'll go, hang on, didn't I have a guy climbing across a whole bunch of building roofs and then climbing down and running away in another story and then you can kind of uh, recycle it to a degree. It doesn't happen very often though, but I do. And occasionally also you write a couple of really good lines that don't fit into the current story that that do get a run elsewhere. And that's really nice. Well, you feel like you've done the work before, don't you? It's like a bonus. <laughs> well, it is a little bit. It's always easy to play around with text rather than uh, write it for the first time. That's, yeah, isn't that the truth? So that, that brings me then to your writing process. Like, do you plot... You were talking about you sort of take an idea and have a look and see how good its legs are. Do you plot the whole novel out in advance before you start writing or, or does it develop as you go? I've done both. Virtually... All my stories I plot to some degree and my technique usually is to create a, well, first of all, handwritten notes, mm. but then I'll often make a, a table in Microsoft Word with uh, scene numbers, chapter numbers, uh, beginning, middle and end, and for each, in each square, I'll, I'll list the characters involved, uh, the location, and then a quick summary of what happens in that scene or chapter 
Right. And often I'll also add another thing saying, what is the purpose of this scene? You know, why is this scene in the story? And if I can't come up with a valid reason for that, I don't write it and it gets left by the wayside. Over a few weeks, I'll play around with that, get the um, plot structure pretty tight, and then I'll often write two or three chapters, and then I'll rewrite my plan. Okay, wow. I'll find that the direction I had, I'd originally thought of wasn't working, or so then I'll often um, rewrite it. Then normally that'll keep me going through the first draft. Right. And, And I'll finish the first draft over a period of two or three months. I find, often I finish the first draft and I go, hmm, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with that. And then I'll put it away for a couple of weeks, maybe a month, and then I'll read it again. And that's when I go, oh, dear. That's not very good at all. And it's almost like a form of depression. I just go, oh, this is awful. And I'll I'll mope around for days and days. And then then reread it and make notes. And then I'll be out walking somewhere and I'll go, hang on, what if I do something, you know, such and such and, you know, put, make Emily a, uh, a school headmistress instead of a, a, va- a vagrant or something like that. And, yeah. and then I start to rebuild and, and I rebuild my own psyche at the same time as I'm rebuilding the book. And over the next few months, I'll be making heaps and heaps of handwritten notes again. I might completely plan it again. And slowly, I'll start to get a second draft. And the second draft for me is working out exactly the story I want to tell, which I was never completely certain of in the beginning. Right. You're you're searching for the core. Every story has a core. They talk about elevated speeches. They talk about being able to state the story's premise in two sentences. It's true. You need to be able to say uh, basically what what your story's about in a few sentences. Yeah. So if someone says to you, what's this book about, you've got an answer. You do. And it's hard. Mm. And uh, I, I find when I do book signings, the first thing people say, what's it about? And you go, oh, well, gee, I don't know. Well, it's, <laughs> it's just uh, a really great story. A couple of characters who do, you know, and you start raving on. But uh, the times when I have actually learned a, you know, a succinct plot summary, it's helped enormously, all through, not just for the writing process, but also in the, the sales process. All right, it so is, I'm going to test you now. Tell yeah. us about your new book, Lethal Sky, out on July 1. What's it about, Greg? It's about a group of terrorists who get hold of a biological weapon mm. and they threaten to use it against the world's great cities. Fantastic. See, right there, I'm in. Someone's going to save the world, aren't they? Exactly. Fantastic. That's what I was saying about scope yep. uh, with thrillers, you know, big stuff, you know, uh, the, the stakes have to be high. So it could be the death of a civilization. It could be the death of the world. It could be uh, the wiping out of a city. It could, you know, things have to... The reader has to be worried that something really bad's going to happen, yeah. not just that, you know, uh, John's going to stub his toe. You know, it has to be <laughs> serious, serious stuff. Uh, Lethal Sky's been really interesting for me because it's the first time I've used um, Australia as a setting. Right. It's only partially, it's probably about a quarter of the novel is um, about Sydney, 
which was great for research. It saved me a lot of travel and a lot of um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wikipedia-ing. Uh, very uh, kind of fun for me to use locations I knew. And even just to sit in an aeroplane over Sydney, because part of it's set in an aeroplane over Sydney, and just draw, uh, draw with words what I saw. And Sydney from the air is immensely interesting, as you know. Mm, definitely. And uh, you know, just to use those kind of images in the in the book was fantastic for me. Right, so um, we I also think that the local angle will be um, will be great for my uh, um, marketing. Yeah. You know, because people can relate to it. Yeah. Because you don't often there aren't that many thrillers set in Australia either. No, not kind of big terrorist um, no. stories. So I'm, I'm yeah. And I didn't do that as a deliberate device. It just kind of, because I had an Australian character, it just kind of worked that way. So, yeah. <laughs> Bonus. Um, well, we talked earlier about research and you said how important it was to get your guns right and your explosions right and all of that sort of thing. So how long does it take you to research a, a novel? Like how long did the research for Lethal Sky take? I research as I write. I use several different techniques. Usually when I'm writing the first draft, if I and I, I've I've learned a fair, a fair bit of stuff that I don't or didn't already know uh, through the research in the previous novels, but if I get to something I don't know and I'm writing first draft, I'll tend to just write XXX. Yeah. Um, I'll exit out, or there's a couple of code words I'll use for um, researching later, and either at the end of the day's writing, I'll come back and uh, look them up. Uh, or if they're more difficult and I've got to contact someone, I might email someone at the end of the day. Otherwise, it gets left for the second draft. Right. At which stage, a very slow and tortuous process of pulling it all together, I, you know, find out what I, what I need to know. So I don't have a research stage. Right. Because you could research them. forever, couldn't you? I think a lot of people get themselves so enamoured of the research that they never actually get to writing the book. Yeah, yeah. And uh, doing it up front, is, it suits some people. Yeah. Some people aren't... I'm, I'm a bit of a risk, risk taker. Some people are perfectionists from the word go and they love to just get it right, you know, and know everything they need to know before they write a word. And that's fine. That's a, a different personality type. Yeah. I'm happy to get it close in the first draft or, or uh, have a guess in the first draft and then I've got the second, third, fourth, etc. draft to, to get it right. But to give you an idea, the first draft of Lethal Sky I did in between the finishing you know, bits and pieces of Savage Tide. Yeah. yeah. Um, it probably took me about five months all up to write the first draft and then I spent at least 12 months rewriting it. Wow, okay. At least. And that's before it even goes to the editor. And they do their structural draft and then they do their, their copy edit. So my rewriting is extensive, tortuous. <laughs> I, I make stru huge structural changes. Right. In fact, with Lethal Sky, I got uh, the initial report back from the structural editor and... After that, I made huge changes to that manuscript. Wow. That weren't even asked, you know, weren't asked for by the, the structural editor. But she made a couple of comments that made me think there's a better way of doing this overall. And I cut a 110,000 word manuscript 
down to 65,000 words. Oh. And this is just a, basically a month before I had to hand it in for the copy edit. Wow. So I wrote a new 50,000 words in a four-week period. Wow. And I'm feeling much better about my own structural <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, I'm a, nut, I'm a nutcase, really. <laughs> because I could have just stuck with what I had, and it was, it was a pretty good novel. You know, this is what the structural editor said. She said, well, this works. Well, it all works pretty well, um, blah, blah, blah. But I just felt that I could do a better, do it better. So I did. Okay. And I caused myself an awful lot of sleepless nights and late nights, and I, I basically hardly saw my family for months. So I just, uh, uh, but it, it's there now and it's done, and, and it's yeah, I'm happy with it. Fantastic. Well, that's the key to it, isn't it? You have to be happy with it at the end of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what do you think are the key characteristics of a great action hero? Like, what have you got in your head when you're, you know, you when you're pulling your protagonist together? Number one, a, a really good action hero has to have a strong moral core. You have to have someone who, uh, it sounds, I mean, it is a cliche, but uh, who fights for the right thing, that they have, have strong values, that they value human life and they abhor evil, is probably almost essential. You can turn that on your on its head, and you know, have someone who's questionable morally. But I, I just don't think people like to read that. Okay. I think at the heart of every every human being is, is some kind of admiration of what we call good. Yeah. So I think at some level they need to have a strong moral core. They need to be considerate, polite. Not necessarily polite, actually. That's probably not quite true. <laughs> but I can think of some action heroes who are actually quite brash. Yeah. But uh, at some level, they're admirable. Yeah. They've also got to be very capable at what their you know, particular task is. So they need to have skills. They need to be well-trained. Usually they need to have a mentor of some kind. Yep. Who, you know, every time, every now and then when they wander off the path a little bit, you know, there's a, a hand on their shoulder uh, steering them back. Uh, some people would argue that they need to be like attractive. Mm. Um, I think you'll find ninety-five percent of action heroes are kind of described as attractive. Mm. That's just simply an image imagery thing, you know. Um, I, I like it personally when they're a bit quirky, yep. a little bit interesting. I like. To, I love them to have a sense of humour. I think that's uh, really important. Steve Warland, um, another Australian thriller writer who's written uh, Combustion and uh, Velocity, he uses humour deliberately yeah. as a as a way of getting close to the reader and getting the reader's sympathy. He, his his books are quite funny as well. I I tend to come across humour by accident, and I just. You know, I happen to write a sentence and I go, hang on, this situation's funny. And then I'll milk it. Then I'll go back to it and I'll, you know, try and bring out the humour in it and, and make it interesting. I think all, all good books have humour to some degree. Yep. So um, if I was going to sit down and write a thriller, what would be your three top tips for me to get me started? Think of a really strong concept with high stakes. Mm-hmm. So start with a really strong idea. Uh, you know, an asteroid's going to hit the Earth or, um, 
the uh, these uh, creatures are going to crawl out of the sea and take over the world, whatever, you know. Yeah. Something that's yeah. strong and catastrophic is probably a good start. Doesn't have, you know, catastrophic is a little bit extreme, but um, if it is, so much the better. <laughs> um, I would choose some, a strong character, a strong main character. Yep. A strong supporting character, often of the opposite sex, but not necessarily. Yep. Um, a mentor-type character. And then I would think up some really good obstacles to them preventing the catastrophe that you've already thought of. Okay. It's all about those obstacles. It's all about um, not letting it be easy for your, uh, your protagonist to uh, save the day. Also... The antagonist is very interesting, has to be strong once again. In Rotten Gods, I was really keen to show that the antagonists, in this case um, Muslim terrorists, were came from somewhere, that, that they were believable, that they had that they had lives of their own and that they actually believed they were right in yeah. acting the way they do. So yeah. I really wanted to show that side. Yeah. And you, you do run into some problems there because the very best antagonists are truly evil. You know, they can't walk past a cat without kicking it. Yeah. Um, and they treat other people horribly all the time. Now, that's, the, that's the kind of the easy way of doing it. But when you want to present them as being balanced, it's harder, but you get a stronger result overall. So I wanted, I wanted all those characters to be believable. I wanted people to understand where they came from and why they act the way they do. Okay. So bear that in mind when you're putting your stuff together. Yeah. Yeah, try and make, make, make them balance. You know, they always have their soft side. I mean, Hitler loved dogs and painted pictures. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's almost a cliche, but it's it's true. They they do, they're not, you know, no one's purely, you know, they're nasty all the time. Do you ever feel a little bit mean to your protagonists, you know, like you make it so hard for them, every day is difficult? Do you ever feel like, you know, <laughs> I'm being a bit nasty about all this? It really surprised me, I, I, and I was quite touched after uh, Savage Tide came out and something particularly nasty happens to one of the characters. And people genuinely, you know, were annoyed about it. You know, like, you know... <laughs> How did you coming do up that? And saying, what did you do that to PJ for? <laughs> Poor PJ. And then when I was writing the third one, I was getting messages through my wife from people she works with, you better not kill him off in the next book. I was serious, and I was just like, people actually care, like they really, really care. And so you do have a responsibility. You can't just kill people off willy-nilly for no reason. I mean, if that's what's got to happen, then that's what happens. But you don't do it lightly and you don't do it spuriously, you know, without any reason. Or you're going to annoy readers. They have an investment in the characters and they hate losing them. Sometimes they have to lose them. But you don't just do it for, you know, on a whim. <laughs> Never kill them <laughs> off on a whim. There's some good advice. All right, well, thank you so much for talking to us to, to us today, Greg, and good luck Absolutely. with Over. Lethal Sky. I'm so glad that I gave you the opportunity to practice your elevator pitch with that one. And um, we shall look forward to seeing them out on the shelves. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Alison. 
There you go. I hope you enjoyed Alison Tate's chat with Greg Barron. So one of the things that um, I thought was interesting about Greg's story is that it took him that long to find an agent. But, you know, he was persistent. And importantly, this is so important, is after you've written your first book, make sure that you have started writing your next one. Because if a, a publisher shows interest in your book, they will want to know that you're not just a one-hit wonder. They will ask you the question, so what are you working on now? And you just need to make sure that you have an answer for it, okay? I also like the fact that Greg talks about the, you, that you need to figure out what your genre is because as we've mentioned in previous episodes, publishers and particularly bookstores need to know how to categorize you. I know no one likes to be pigeonholed, but the reality is you need to be placed in the part of the bookshop where you're going to get the most sales and where readers are going to naturally gravitate to when they're looking for books like yours. So if you're still trying to figure out which genre your writing belongs in, I suggest that you make it a priority. Go to a bookshop, go hang out in different types of bookshops and see where your book would be would would most fit in order to get the most sales because the easier the bookshop can categorize you and the easier the publisher can help the bookshop categorize you then the easier it's going to be for you to find success in more sales anyway i hope you enjoyed today's chat with greg barron The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. With online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing, students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.